0: I'm Carrie Miller and this is Flyover Down the Mississippi River. For the next week, we'll be traveling north to south along one of the nation's most iconic and important rivers. The Anishinaabe named it, Mark Twain celebrated it. Artists like Johnny Cash and Big Bill Brunsey sang about it.
1: The river is along. So I can see my good
0: girl on that other side. The Mississippi is a powerful force in the nation's economy and ecology, but it also lives large in our collective imagination as Americans. We're here this week to discover how the Mississippi shapes our identity as a people who live in its plains and deltas. Later this week, as we travel downriver to Iowa, we'll talk about who decides how the river is managed. In New Orleans, we'll debate the effects of climate change and the controversial decisions that have transformed the flow and the force of the Mississippi. And we'll end with a town hall in LaRose, Louisiana, where we'll hear from people who have a deep stake in the health and the vibrancy of this big river.
2: I met her accidentally in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it tore me up every time I heard her draw, southern draw. Then I heard my dream went back downstream, and in Davenport, and I followed you, big river.
0: And we're beginning here in St. Paul, Minnesota, 220 miles south of the source of the river. That source at the bottom of Lake Itasca begins its flow from a green glade where a plaque notes how far we are from sea level and the Gulf of Mexico. 2,552 miles if you're counting. Today, a conversation about how you and your family and your community connect to the Mississippi River and its tributaries. I'd like to hear from you, no matter where you are along the Mississippi or its watershed rivers, what does it mean to you to be sustained in your work and play in your idea of what it is to live in this part of the country? So think about this. How does the Mississippi and its sister rivers shape who you are? Here's the phone number, 183 fly over one or tweet me at Kerry K E R R I M P R and use the hashtag Flyover Radio. We find NPR's Kirsty Marone along the river in Saint Cloud, Minnesota. Kirsty, welcome. It's good to have you on Flyover. Thanks, Carrie. There was a time when a lot of communities, like Saint Cloud, turned away from the river. I think Saint Cloud Mayor Dave Kleiss has. Noted that there's a riverfront hotel that has no windows on the side of the river. People just weren't interested in looking out on the river, right?
3: That's right. I'm actually standing on the campus of St. Cloud State University, which is just downstream from downtown St. Cloud. And this stretch of the Mississippi from here south is it's really scenic. It's not very developed because there's a lot of protections from through the Wild and Scenic Rivers Program. But I mean, it's really beautiful. It's wooded. There's great fishing. Um, but you know, just upstream in downtown um, for a long time, um, the the river was really sort of a, a transportation route for commerce and it was a dumping ground for meat pack meat packing plants and a lot of uh, other industries. And the community kind of lost its connection to the river. yeah,
0: so so, so today today, yeah. how connected would you say the river is?
3: Well, there's a lot of buildings in in St. Cloud in downtown St. Cloud that, like you said, don't even face the river, and it's really hard to get down to the water. Um, there's just not a lot of access places for the public. Um, so I think a lot of people might not even know it's it's really here. I mean, uh, you know, if you're in a hotel in downtown St. Cloud, you probably can't even see it and, and might not even know it's there. So the community is really trying to change that, and the city actually recently passed a, a plan to redevelop that stretch of of the river through downtown and um, north to try to give people more access, and um, it would—it's actually a pretty ambitious plan. They would create some some public access places and um, some green space along the river. They actually—they they, want to actually carve a channel um, to create a little island where people could get down and, and put their feet in the water.
0: Hmm. Wow, it, it is extraordinary, isn't it, to think that it having a river that ran through your town or your city was in no way considered to be an asset, right? It, in the in the days long ago, it was something that you avoided and that so many communities along the river have rediscovered it. I mean, would you say it's a source of pride for the people that live in St. Cloud and, and near that area, up and down? Yeah, I think it, it
3: becoming more so. I think people are really starting to recognize its value and even seeing like businesses getting more involved. Um, there's a brewing company here in St. Cloud called Beaver Island, named for the the islands that are just south of me here. Um, And they actually have organized some river cleanup days and they offer people a free beer who volunteer. So (laughs) I think, you know, businesses and and just community leaders are starting to see the value of it. And you're also seeing um, more people wanting to get out on the river. So, um, you know, canoeing, kayaking, and the fishing is great. I think that's something a lot of people don't know. There was a time when (laughs) Nobody would have eaten fish out of the river, but um, you know, it's a lot cleaner these days and the fishing is actually really great. It's one of the best smallmouth fast fisheries in the state.
0: Christy, we have a lot of people on the phone line, so I'm going to take a few calls and you and I can reflect on what people are saying to Ellen in North Carolina. Hi, Ellen. Um, I didn't think our first call was going to come from North Carolina. Tell me how you and your family are connected to the Mississippi river. Well, my husband's family, his, his great-grandparents came over from Sweden,
4: and then the, his grandparents, they all settled there on the Mississippian Rice and had about 20 acres and was a potato farm there for a while. And when his great-grandparents died and his uncle died, his family sold that property, and they wanted to keep it as a conservation Piece of property to Benton County, so
0: now it is Benton County um, Park. Huh. And so this it's is something. Bend, it's called yeah, it's I called bend I, in the river. <laughs> okay, Ellen. I think your your phone cut out there, but you've raised something that I hope we're going to hear more about this hour. And Kirsty, that's a generational sense of place. That, that river creates right my family settled here my ancestors we have photographs and we have family stories about that and then that ends up being pretty important doesn't it
3: yeah that's right that that park she mentioned is actually a really beautiful spot it, it really ha- it gives you kind of a, a bird's eye view of the river looking down and um the, the family did really want to preserve that and um, it's it's a beautiful spot that you know I, I think people don't realize up here how um undeveloped the river is, um if your image of it is just you know barges and you know a lot of commerce, I mean, up here there's just not that sort of traffic, and um, there's some parts of it that are you know really undisturbed and and really get, give you a chance to to see wildlife and and uh, get out and it's really beautiful.
0: That's something I was curious about for you, Kirsty, because again, I think we think of stretches of the river as being pretty industrial. But there's a real serenity to that stretch of the river that you're in. So give me an experience about paddling in that area and what it means to actually get out on the water.
3: Yeah, I have paddled. It's been quite a few years now, but I went from St. Cloud down to Clearwater, which is sort of the next town down the river from here. Um, And it's it's really uh, pretty remote. There's the Beaver Islands, which I mentioned. It's about 20 islands um, and just... It kind of creates these little channels in the river, lots of trees, um, just really, you know, a lot of wildlife. It's really pretty um, all the way down. So, you know, you're seeing more people. There's a couple of canoe rental launch places that will offer people rides or tours up and down the river. I think you're starting to see more of that.
0: A call here from Lacey in Duluth. Hi, Lacey. Hey, good to have you on flyover. Hi, Hi. Talk to me about what the river means to you.
5: Um, I'm a Mormon, and when I think of the Mississippi, I think when I've visited Nauvoo, Illinois, where Mormons settled in the 1840s. Mm -hmm. Um, Mormons were actually pushed from Missouri to Illinois, and um, in our history, we think a lot about the crossing of the Missouri and how. how wrought with strife it was, but also once they settled, how it was, you know, life-giving and with a way for them to have commerce and trade. And then later when um, Mormons were pushed out again and um, started the trek west, of course, there was again another crossing. And now there's an an LDS temple, a Mormon temple um, rebuilt there, and it overlooks the Mississippi, and it just brings life to a lot of Mormons, I think. And um, just beautiful views and just kind of connects us to, like you said before, generational
0: history. I'm really glad you called, Lacey. Thank you so much. So if you've just gotten into the show, it's flyover radio down the Mississippi. And we're talking today, and we're going to be doing this all week, about your connection to the river, what it means to the the part of the river that you live on. We're going to talk about climate change We're going to talk about who actually controls the river. But today, we're beginning with this idea of our family connection, our spiritual connection, the kind of connection that we have as river dwellers, right? People who live on the Mississippi River or its delta. And as you listen into the conversation develop, I'd like to hear from you, no matter where you are along the Mississippi or the tributary rivers, what does it mean to you to be sustained in your work and your play. And what's your idea of what it is to live in the part of the country that you live in? Is it a spiritual connection, like Lacey said? Is it is it something that's generational that you tell stories about in your family? Talk to me about that today. One eight three flyover one, or you can tweet me at Carrie NPR. Use the hashtag Flyover Radio Kirsty thanks so much. Good to find you along the Mississippi River. Good to be here. I'm Carrie Miller and this is Flyover Down the Mississippi River. For the next week, we're going to be traveling north to south along one of the nation's most iconic and important rivers. We're going to be talking about what it means to you wherever you live along the river and some of the biggest issues and challenges that confront the river. So I want to hear from you today. And by the way, very busy phone lines here. If you get a busy signal, call us back. What does the river mean to your culture, to your family, to your sense of place, to your identity of what it means to be an American who lives in this part of the country? 183-FLY-OVER-1, tweet me, at Keri, K-E-R-R-I. Our guest, Winona LaDuke, is with us. She's program director of Honor the Earth and an environmental activist from her base on the White Earth Reservation. She's the author of a number of books, including Recovering the Sacred, The Power of Naming and Claiming. And she's with us today from White Earth, Minnesota. Winona, welcome. It's so good to have you on flyover. Anine, hello. Boyce Uphold is with us. He's a freelance writer whose article about the Mississippi River appears in Sierra Magazine. And the article is titled, Paddling the Lower Mississippi Ain't a Huck Finn Journey Anymore. He's working on a book about the Mississippi River, and he's with us from New Orleans. And Boyce, welcome to you. Good to have you on the show.
6: Thanks, Carrie. Glad to be here.
0: Uh, Winona, you live at the headwaters of the Mississippi River and the Red River. Am I right about that?
7: That's right. The White Earth Reservation has both the headwaters, the headwaters of both great river systems, on it.
0: It's a place imbued with a lot of history and abundance and power. Would you would you tell me about what it means to live at the at the confluence of of those two rivers?
7: Well, we call this land Aking, or Anishinaabe Aking, which means the land to which the people belong, and you know, so that's kind of like a different construct than private property, state lines. It's, you know, this knowledge that is of a people who've lived here for, you know, 10,000 years in and have some experience of having, for instance, harvested wild rice on the same lake for 7,000 years. You know, I, I live in a community where you know, if you look out across our territories, Anishinaabe people, which is the northern part of five American states and the southern part of four Canadian provinces, but a lot is around the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of water and there's a lot of rivers. Hmm. And so we're a people who kind of undulate between, you know, a, a water world and islands and land because it is so significant to us. This, you know, the, the water that exists around us and the power that exists around us. And, you know, the Mississippi River in Anishinaabe Moan, that's our language, is, doesn't just have one name. It has more than one name. So Wenji Majiji Wong, which is from where the waters start to flow, that's the headwaters
0: uh-huh.
7: of the Mississippi. You know, that's how it starts, right? And then, as you know, it you know, undulates and cruises through all places, you know. So Elk River, which is the Mississippi River between Lake Itasca and Lake Bemidji, you know, you all call it the Mississippi, but we call it... <laughs> Omash Kuzi Zibi, which is Elk River. And then you have the river that crosses Lake Bemidji. Now, the word Bemidji means Bemidji Gamag. It means a cross current because the river itself is this force that crosses the river and you know, comes out the other side, but that's where the word Bemidji comes from. So it's Bemidji Gamag Zibi, the river that crosses the lake. And then you have the river between Cass Lake and Lake Winnipegosh, right? You know what I'm saying? So we have a set of names for the river that are as the river emerges from one river and adds more power and more lakes and more amaze, amazement to it. And it finally begins to be called the Mississippi in Anishinaabe Moan, between Leech Lake River and the Crow Wing River, wow. where it goes to Gichi Zibi and then Mi- Mississippi that is an Ojibwe word. Zibi is the word for river. Missy refers to how great it is. And that's between the Crow Ring River and the Gulf of Mexico. Then it gets that name, but it has to earn that name <laughs> along its its path as it comes through our territory. All
0: these beautiful descriptors in the Anishinaabe language and as you note, we call it one thing, the Mississippi that doesn't really get at a lot of uh, yeah. those beautiful areas that the river is traversing. Boys, uh, and then
7: also kind of, I like the idea of that Bemidji Gamog, like how a river crosses a lake, but it right. remains, you know what I'm saying, is it's, it's a cross current. And it's really interesting because there's this little village way up on Hudson Bay, right on Hudson Bay that's affected by a big dam project, you know, NSP or XL buys power from the Manitoba Hydro, but they're, they're called Bemidji Gamog too. They have the same name, Cross Lake is the village. And it's so interesting that that name, you know, prevails, but it describes the power of the river. You know, I always make fun. I mean, I'll make fun, but you know how white people always got to name things after themselves.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah. You don't
7: need me to tell you that, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, every, every person has one thing. They're naming stars, and it's like some guy who's 40 years old get a mountain named after him, which makes <laughs> no sense to me. But we are people who have names for places that, you know, refer to what is, what is the power of that place, you know? So just uh, a little you know, on the naming thing. I
0: love it. Uh Boyce, talk to me. You live in the Mississippi Delta. You're coming to us today from New Orleans. I'd like to know if you if you have a generational or a familial connection to that part of the river, that part of the country.
6: I don't actually. I grew up in Connecticut and wound up moving oh, to wow. the Mississippi Delta about 10 years ago. But I, I think uh, it, the connection I have is sort of the... When I moved to Mississippi, the the region along the river where I've been living for the past 10 years is very flat farmland, but it used to be connected to the river. And it took me a while to realize sort of why the region looked the way it did and why there was so little wildness. And and then I started paddling on the river and, and really fell in love with that space.
0: I have a caller voice from somebody in New Orleans where you are today to Gabriel in New Orleans. Gabriel, what's your connection to the river? What's it mean to you?
1: Um, it is, it's hard to be brief about the connection. Uh, in my family tradition, we've been in South Louisiana for 200 years and my first language is Cajun French. I'm calling from new Orleans. I live in new Orleans now, but, uh, the, uh, the Gulf coast and all of the Hachafalaya basin and the tributaries and everything, um, they have such a meaning in everyone's uh, collected imagination in the stories that we tell. And, um, it's kind of an interesting thing to hear about that connection in the headwaters. I've had friends who did, you know, someone would uh, have donate, you know, half a cent or whatever for these walks that people do and donate to children's hospitals or something. I've had friends do that for, they would, uh, canoe, from the headwaters down the Mississippi to the best of their ability for charities to bring awareness to the ecological um, problems throughout the Mississippi River over the past 20 years. I've had five friends do that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting to me uh, from a, uh, a psychological standpoint, The your first caller said that at some, certain places, some people don't even know it's there maybe. And here I feel like it's the same thing, but it's it's almost in the background because we're living our daily topical lives. We're trying to pay the bills. Um, but very often when I am most in my holiest place, it's on the Gulf of Mexico in a place called Leeville, Louisiana. Um and you can the, the land is so flat in the Gulf of Mexico that you can you feel like in your perspective. Your peripheral vision you can almost see the curvature of the earth
0: huh.
1: and it's incredibly um it's my home you know anyway <laughs> the, i'm really curious to hear from your two um uh panel uh, about the connection and almost this disconnection good between the way that we we idolize the mississippi river and the food that comes from it and the way that it feeds our fields and also the, the the this there's this disconnection between that idea that we romanticize, and then this idea that, you know, from my experience uh, as a generational uh, farmer of the sea, shrimping and crabbing and oysters, um, many 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 of the people who get their livelihood from the river and the the surrounding estuaries also work in the oil field, and it's one of the main the petroleum industry is one of the main threats we have to the sustainability of these
0: Gabriel, places. let me do this. I think I have the kernel of what you wanted to say, and I want to go back to our guests on that, because, Boyce, in this piece that you wrote for Sierra Magazine, you write about how there are places on the river where the communities are really, they're integral to the idea, to the mythology of the river, and there there are other places where it flows by and towns are... Really disconnected from it. What you what did you find on that?
6: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I found that in those towns that are connected, um, people when we showed up in town, coming in these thirty-three foot canoes, and, and we were a group, a big group of paddlers. Um, people just immediately in the river towns that were connected, people just trusted us. They would say, you know, here's the keys to my truck, drive it to town to get some groceries, or mm-hmm. you know, breakfast is on me. Just show up at the local diner, we've got it covered because they knew we were fellow river people. Um, but there are other towns, I mean, the, the levees have were have been come up over the past 300 years and really disconnected this landscape that used to to be a part of the river essentially. And and where I lived in Mississippi for the past nine years, uh, you can't even see the river. And so I'm 30 miles away from the river in what used to be part of the river's wetlands. I lived there for four or five years before really knowing and seeing the river in this intimate way. So yeah, it depends community to community very much.
0: You know, Winona, I think we we can also see that there are big, long stretches of the river that have been denatured, right? A lot of the, the river is cut off from the land. The land has been kind of pushed back. Nature has been pushed back. What do you think the emotional impact is on a on a community or a people that don't have that kind of connection and don't feel that natural uh, alliance with, with the river?
7: Well, I don't know if you're asking me how someone else feels. <laughs> I don't really know. I just know how we feel. I mean, and I can't you know, speak for all of us, but you know, basically the river is how all our trees were moved out of here. You know, I mean, northern Minnesota was full of white pines. Frederick Weyerhaeuser moved out here and saw my reservation, and you know, between 1888 and 1889, like clear cut so much of northern Minnesota, and you know, put it on the Otter Tail, or put it, you know, going into the Red, or put it, you know, put it onto the Mississippi, and you know, so we've seen the river become the way that everything that that we know our our world has changed, and it has moved on on the you know, has moved on the river. Now, I'm just going to give you an example. So the largest, I I think it's the largest log jam in Minnesota history (laughs) occurred on the Mississippi River. I've seen photographs
0: Um, of that, yeah.
7: Right, right. It was just by Little Falls, just above Little Falls. And so 1893 to 94 contained about a billion board feet of logs. It was six and a half, (laughs) you know, miles long, three quarters of a mile wide and 40 feet thick. Now, you know, I don't want to say that's some pickup sticks, but
0: man, that's
7: like <laughs> a tangle. You know what I'm saying? That, that's like a huge tangle of logs, and that's a huge tangle of wealth.
0: Yeah.
7: You know, that came from my reservation. That's where that came from. I mean, the pines of my reservation is what fueled, you know, Frederick Weyerhaeuser and a lot of empire. I mean, certainly a lot of empire has been built off of, you know, the logging and the mining, and, and the Mississippi River has been, you know, this, this way to move. and and to build empire, you know, on the, not, not going to say on the other side of it, but you know, I am someone that I love rivers. I love thinking of them as our highways. I love thinking of them as, you know, and I miss them. I feel like I, you know, I'm a woman who rides horse, you know, I, darn it. I got a car too, but you know, I think of how my ancestors and your ancestors all traversed these rivers in elegant manners you know or sometimes not so elegant if you tipped in but you know the rivers are great you know are the the creator's way of allowing you to move without so much impact at some level yeah. and i think that you know you, you as you're saying we've lost that i mean you go and you know i mean i get i get a little vexed looking at the, you know that the uh riverfront in some of these towns and i'm like well you really lost that connection you know so it is a sad thing to to lose lose that relationship to something as powerful as the river. And, you know, in that process, as you know, I'm sure that you're talking about, I mean, you know, the river just has become a waste dump for a lot of things, which is so tragic. You know, where I live, you can, you know, you can, I got springs here and further north, as you know, we can drink the water from a lake up here. And, you know, I don't know if I drink it from the headwaters of the Mississippi, but, you know, with a little bit of filtering, you're good. And and whereby, you know, where my friend is, you know, down there in Louisiana, you ain't drinking the water on the river down there, right?
0: Hey, listen to this, Winona, from Wendy in Donaldsonville, Louisiana. She says, the Mississippi River down here, it supports the town that I live on. I'm the water plant manager. I work in the same building that the city has used since 1836. It provides so much to the city. Our well water here is not safe the Mississippi is what we rely on. Let me go back to the phones here to Amanda, listening in New Orleans. Hey, Amanda. Thanks so much for waiting. Hi. Hey,
4: hi, hi Amanda. Um, you there? Yeah. I just, yes, I'm here. I just would like to say that the Mississippi, I've been living here my whole life. Um, I've watched the Mississippi change over 36 years. And I have to say, it's so sad because the disconnect of the river also relates to our poverty and to our systematic racism and into our whole culture of just homelessness that we have in the city of New Orleans, but also up and down the Mississippi Delta. And, um, you know, we're not far from Donaldsonville, which is a, it has a lot of poverty. So there's a lot of, like, poverty that goes on with the disconnect of the river And with the reliance on the river and it's just it's kind of really sad i've seen our our um, river as it degraded in its in its ecological and and environmental it's gotten degraded that also our cities and towns along the river have also gone down that path as well for
0: the most part amanda i really hope you're listening and maybe you'll have a chance to call in again on thursday we're going to talk about Climate change and equity on the Mississippi River, and what to do uh, around communities that may need to move, be moved back. What to do with a very unequal kind of landscape there when big decisions have to be made about the Mississippi River. Boyce, I'd imagine that that's something that you saw as you were as you were making this trip on the Mississippi.
6: Yeah, we did see some of the poverty. But first, I want to back up and, and defend the river a little bit um, in that the entire – so I canoed over two trips. We started in St. Louis and wound up just outside New Orleans, the second trip from New Orleans to the Gulf. And pretty much every day we were drinking coffee that was made from the river water. We'd boil it twice. Uh-huh. Um, we were swimming in the river every day. Uh, it Certainly, I don't oh, want to belittle sure. the, the really tragic environmental consequences, and, and those consequences really have um, impacted, you know, low-income communities of color more than anyone else. But um, it remains a truly wild and truly beautiful place in a lot of ways, even in the midst of all this industry. And I think one of the challenges is if we – or one of the sort of impacts of that narrative of it's this polluted wasteland is that we are losing even more the connection that we have. And if, if people realize there's so much beauty to be found out there um, and more people get out there, we're going to be able to better protect the river. So just wanted to put that out there. But, um, yeah, in terms of those environmental consequences, you know, the the – every community i think every community along there every county along the lower mississippi river or nearly everyone is majority um African American and is uh, has high incidences of poverty, and so I think those things go hand in hand, and that's part of why industry has moved into the river so easily. It's because communities that have less resources to to push back against that.
0: You're listening to Flyover on the Mississippi River. It's a national call-in on American identity, and we are traveling north to south on the Mississippi River. To talk about some of the big issues that you hear coming up on this first hour. I want to hear from you today, no matter where you are along the Mississippi River or its sister rivers, what does it mean to you to be sustained in your work and your play and your idea of what it is to live in this part of the country near the river? How does the Mississippi and its sister rivers shape who you are Here's the phone number one eight three flyover one. Get a busy signal. Call us back. Tweet me at Carrie K E R R I M P R. Use that hashtag flyover radio. I'm Carrie Miller, and you're listening to Flyover Radio, Flyover Down the Mississippi. Tomorrow, we'll talk about who gets to control the future and the path of the Mississippi River. It'll be right here at noon. Today, it's a conversation about what it means to be connected to the Mississippi River. Winona LaDuke with us, Program Director of Honor the Earth, and Boyce Uphold with us. He's a freelance writer and his article about traveling the Mississippi River appears in this month's Sierra Magazine. I want to go right back to the phones to Benjamin in New Orleans. So Benjamin, what's your story? What's your family's story with the Mississippi River?
8: Hi there. Thank you. I live in New Orleans and my family has lived up and down the Mississippi River in Mississippi and Louisiana for 200 years. It is very much um, mythic and sort of our, you know, family ideology and definitely plays very strongly into our um, sense of identity. Um, however, I think we often, when we mythologize the river and, and make it sound so much larger than life, forget that down here on the Deltaic Plain in New Orleans, this land Is only about 10,000 years old. It's an incredibly fragile ecosystem, an incredibly fragile geology. And um, the more and more that the river is manipulated upstream, um, it continues to affect us down here. We're one of the fastest disappearing landmasses in the world. And so it's imperative that we think about the entire Mississippi River Basin um, and the Delta down here as one continual geologic ecosystem that we have to preserve and all work together to make sure that it's still here.
0: I'm glad for the call, Benjamin, because you're kind of setting the the stage for the entire week as we move down the river. Winona, this is something that in every place we stop on the river, I think we're going to hear, which is we cherish this part of the river. It's those people upstream that don't get what's going on here. And to think more of this river, I, I think in the way that you you described at the beginning of the show as really interconnected, um, how do you how do you think people in different areas, of the river can come more to an appreciation for the Mississippi River as a whole.
7: There's this really beautiful group of women that are called the water walkers, Mm -hmm. and they've been walking the Mississippi. They might actually have, like, uh, we helped them fund, like, a little pontoon with a wigwam on it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like their camper on the river, Uh you know, but they, you know, these people are walking the rivers or canoeing the rivers. And I think that, you know, I mean, as we move to car culture, which I'm not a big fan of, we moved away from the rivers and we lost some of our connection. And so I think that the more we recover that and we have, you know, those river protectors, river keepers, I know that there are a lot of them. You know, for cleanup and for you know checking, because I'm just like everyone else. I weep when I go down and I see garbage by my river. You know, it's such a beautiful place. It's not for that. You know, and uh, so the more that you have community groups that you know are engaged in that, and then you know, the things that celebrate the whole river. I feel like you know, I'm on the phone with you know the rest of you down there. I'm like, y'all should come see us up here at the headwaters, Mm -hmm. at our territory. I mean, we're trying so hard to protect things and. Right now, as you probably know, we're fighting the single largest, you know, tar sands pipeline project in North America, which uh-huh. is this Line 3. They want to cross the Mississippi River a number of times, further putting it at risk and kind of treating it like in the Enbridge maps. They didn't even have the Mississippi River on there when they're crossing it. So, you know, I think there's kind of a general disregard for that. And I feel like, you know, be super honest with you all, I feel like, you know, that nobody's going anywhere. It looks like the Europeans who came, white people who came, they don't look like they're going anywhere. So they should begin to treat this place like a place they want to care for, not a place they're passing through. You know, that's what I really feel like. Show some love. Show some love. And, and you know, the more things we can do with the river to honor the river, we pray, we put our feast dishes out. We, you know, people have different ways of doing that, but we always go pray by our rivers because that's our life.
0: Martha says, uh, called in from New Orleans to say, I was born near the Mississippi in Iowa. Now I live in New Orleans where I had my job interview. And Nola, my interviewers asked what I wanted to see. And I really wanted to see the river. It means a lot to me. To John in Rochester. Hi, John. Thanks so much for waiting. I know it's been a while. Uh, what's Hi, the, no what's, problem. Yeah, what's the river mean to you? Well, my dad and I
9: back in 2002 in two canoes, paddled from the Headwaters all the way down to St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, prior to that, it was just a river to cross on the road to somewhere. Afterwards, we spent three months out there and uh, really now have a very deep connection. And one of your guests touched on it earlier, too, like Gabriel, I think, one of the callers, that, that we developed quite a, a almost spiritual bond with the river just by being on it for so long. Yeah.
0: You, know, you know, Boyce, I think you can relate to that, right, just given what I picked up the vibe in in your article in Sierra.
6: Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I uh, was exactly what I was thinking when Winona when was just speaking, is that, you know, it, it can only be a first step, but I think getting out on the river is, is a huge first step for anyone. And I need to give a shout-out to John Rusky, who's the um, head guide of the Quapaw Canoe Company, who led the trip I was on, uh, would be a great resource for anyone who wants to do this sort of trip. Um, I think spending that time there just can't help but but make you realize what an important, essential, and spiritual place this is. And for me, I was going, you know, my father had passed away a year before I started this trip. He was uh, sort of my model as an adventurer and going through other stuff in life. And, and so the trip for me, six weeks down the river, was a chance to... Uh, reflect on those things, really figure out who I was. And and it did. It it helped me out quite a bit in in terms of my relationship with wild spaces and and with our society. Um, And I don't know anyone, anyone who's even taken an afternoon trip, it's touched them in some way, um, often some spiritual way, even if that's not the word that that person would choose to use.
0: Voice, one of the things that we're going to be, I think, wrestling with the whole week is how, what the debate is around the balance between being able to live with a river Without changing its essential character. Do you know what I mean when I say that?
6: I do, yeah. It's yeah. an incredibly complicated question to answer.
0: Right. So so what did you hear about the debates about this?
6: Uh, I mean, various answers depending on the person and the industry they're involved with um, – you know, there's some people who who feel like we need to give a lot more room back to the river, maybe pull the levees back further away so that there are more wetlands, more habitat for fish and wildlife. Um, there are other people who, you know, make their living working towboats, uh, working um, in, in other industrial capacities that, um, you know, may love the river and spend their recreational time there, but feel like it, it's important to their livelihood, to, that it, it stayed, uh, stays controlled the way that it is right now.
0: Yeah, Winona, that, that's the real challenge, isn't it? That people draw from the river something that's important to the community and to them as individuals, and that in some ways we have to control the river. I don't know how you feel about that word. But then also to live with it without changing its its essential character. I I have a feeling you might say we're not doing too good of a job of that.
7: Well, you know, in, in Anishinaabe teachings... You know, we have a lot of teachings that, you know, minimum modesty, win the good life, which is kind of like the gross national happiness indexing. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like we have a different worldview. It's not about money. It's about how you live. And then we have these, said this covenant, is what how we would refer to it, a covenant, an agreement with the world that we live in. So, you know, there's this reciprocity where you the river gives you your life. You get your fish. You get your rice. You get your way of transferring yourself and then in return you honor the river you put your you know your prayers there your offerings your respectful you take care of the river and make sure that nothing crazy happens to it you know and and i feel that there's this you know that understanding of responsibility covenant agreement with being human in a place is something that is profoundly missing from american natural resource management and most you know planning commissions um, there's a lot of, you know, permit authorization and mitigation. Right. Instead of how do we make things better, there's a lot of how we get to, you know, not slide too much. So, you know, I'm an economist by training, and i spent a lot of time looking at environmental issues, but I think that fundamentally there's a paradigm shift that needs to happen, and some of that has to be in a social understanding of, you know, who we are, because I feel like as humans we're just a small percentage of the world's population in terms of the world Um, you know, in terms of all of the beings that exist, but we consume a huge amount of the biosphere. And a lot of that is in the water, and it's reflected in the Mississippi.
0: Winona LaDuke is with us. She's Program Director of Honor the Earth, and Boyce Uphold is with us. He's a freelance writer. and He just wrote a piece for Sierra Magazine called Paddling the Lower Mississippi Ain't a Huck Finn Journey Anymore. And this is Flyover Radio, and it is a week of going down the Mississippi River and to mix it up with a lot of the debates that are going on around agriculture and the Mississippi River. We'll talk about that in Iowa. When we get to New Orleans, we're going to talk about climate change and equity. And then we've got a town hall to take in everything that we've learned all the way down the Mississippi River. Listen at noon. Call in now, One eight three 8 fly over one Tweet me at CarrieMPR. Busy signal? Call us back to John in Mandeville, Louisiana. Hi, John. Thanks for waiting. How are you?
2: Oh, thank you for uh, having a subject. Um, I live between the Mississippi River and the Pearl River, mm. and also I lived on the Atchafalaya River, which is, it divide the Mississippi River divides at sense Thirty seventy 30 flow. Mississippi has 70, the Atchafalaya has 30, but anytime you're on the water in small boats, in all rivers, these rivers particularly, you could just feel the power. It's like blood flow of the nation, and I get tearful on this, but I can feel it. It's like the, every molecule is expanding. You can feel the power of the river underneath you, and for me, that's a spiritual connection.
0: I'm glad to have the call, John, and I hope you'll listen in this week, uh, especially when we're in oh, well. New Orleans. Good, thanks.
2: Um, also, too, would you please plug the book? No, it's, it's, not, it's, not a book. it's called Travels William Bartram. He <laughs> traveled from Mobile, Alabama through Lake Pontchartrain, up the Amit River, and when he got to the Mississippi River, I'm sorry to take too many minutes, but it's just his description of the Mississippi River when he walked up to it and felt it.
0: Okay. You know what? I'll develop a reading list, John, because books are pretty important to me, so we'll add a reading list for the whole week that we're going to be on the river. To Matt in Mount Vernon, Iowa. Hi, Matt. What's what's on your mind, and what's the river mean to you? Well,
9: um, we... We live about an hour from the river, um, and uh, my wife's family lives in, um, in um, Opelousas, Louisiana. And so when we drive down there you know, a few times a year, we just go to the river and we go south. And uh, it's just really amazing to see the different cultures along the river as you go south and how it changes and how people's attitude towards the river changes. Um, it seems like people here, it's a little more industrial down there, it feels a little more Personal, I think, yeah. when we get down there, yeah. and I think it's interesting how each town or each um, place you drive through claims the river for themselves huh. as their river, and it always reminds me of something that I used to learn when I was trying to think about spirituality and deciding what I thought God was, whatever that is. But that God is is um, is a river that flows through everybody, so everybody claims to know their God or their religion as theirs, like they claim the river is theirs. So it's kind of a link to a to to like a spiritual idea of of the river itself. I just like that image. Oh,
0: I'm really glad for the call. Uh boy, this is something that came through for me from your piece was and, and I think this is something I was trying to get at earlier that there are some really deeply personal individual connections in within communities to the river. Like I think, I think Matt was right that people say this is our part of the river and this is how we feel about that. And you people upstream are, you know, damaging or influencing the way we think of our little part of the river. And sometimes we lose, you know, how interconnected we are.
6: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the experiences to me, I mean, I wish I had been able to, to do the headwaters down. I know a lot of people that have I'm coming from St. Louis down to the Gulf of Mexico um, was really illuminating in seeing you know, that it is not it is many different people's local river, but they're all connected and that the landscape gradually changes as, as you go, come through. Um, and so it's incredible to me to think of, you know, how much wider that is. If you go up the Ohio or if you go up the Missouri or the Arkansas River, so there's 40 percent of the continental United States over a million square miles of rain drains down. This bloodline, as a, call, a caller was calling it before, and, and there is something really powerful about you know it, it rethinks. It helped me rethink my relationship with America as a nation to really see how these different separate ecosystems all are linked through this one river.
0: What how, how does it influence your relationship not just to the to the headwaters land that you live in, but to your relationship with the rest of America?
7: The the river, yeah. You know, there's this really interesting moment. Um, my partner's a historian, and he um, was telling me about this river here, the Shell River, which links the Mississippi River to the Red River <laughs> watershed. And, you know, I just was thinking about my ancestors and how, you know, first of all, how uh, physically strong they were, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, to Portage, some of those things. I don't know, you know, people on the line here, we're, you know, we don't a portage and, you know, I've done a few rods portaging, but, you know, there's some like, you know, but, you know, then just the idea of this connection between, you know, the Mississippi watershed and the Red River watershed and how, you know, as I said, when we began, you know, I come from a people who, you know, the Leech Lake Reservation, 50% of the reservation is water. I mean, Red Lake is probably about the same. We are people of water. We are, you know, people who have an entire world view of an understanding of levels below and levels above and beings that exist in the water that are not in, in a scientific, you know, paradigm, but we understand them and, and stories of people that go, you know, down down below and travel far on these rivers, far on these rivers. So, you know, in in the in the old days, like There was trade that exists in our territory. Like, there's these, like, copper from Superior. It's a certain kind of copper, which, you know, kind of amazed me that the copper is older than Lake Superior. Like, that conceptually, like... Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? But they find that copper down there at the bottom of the Mississippi and the salt from down there up in our territory. (laughs) So, you know, I'm thinking of, like, all those people and, and all those, you know, like, all those mound cultures along the rivers. You know, there's some really... People that were had were astute in their presence in the world. you know I'm kind of embarrassed now because I think my ancestors traveled. They could look at the river, a little thing here, a current, know where medicine is, look to the sky and know where you are in the world. And now people can't even walk out of their dang office without their gps on on their phone <laughs> guilty you know, so i feel like we are like really really handicapping ourselves with our potential and i just you know so i think about the river to me represents not only a history but a possibility in the immensity of of power you know and and the idea that we live between those two watersheds and we're we connected to them historically just like really makes me you know just in awe in awe.
0: Winona, thank you so much for being part of this conversation on the first day of Flyover. Thank you. Really great to have you.
7: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was super fun.
0: Boyce, I was so happy to have your story to read. It put me in the frame of mind for this journey that we're taking for the rest of the week. So thank you very much. Really good to have you on the show.
6: Thank you. It's an honor to be here.
0: I'm going to squeeze Mary in Fairfield, Iowa in here. Mary, I have a minute. Wanted to hear what you had to say. I um, just wanted
4: to say that we all um, kind of have contributed to uh, your caller who was talking about it being interconnected and as well to, to how oh, much we need to care for it.
0: Thanks for the call.
4: We've all contributed.
0: I want to hear from you wherever you are along the Mississippi River. We've got a week of conversations about the Mississippi and its Delta, we end up in New Orleans. Join into the discussion. Make a note of this. one flyover fly Over One. Tweet me anytime at Carrie K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use the hashtag flyover radio.